Channing and Mackenzie here, and you're listening to Freshman Founders, a podcast for people who are interested in starting their first business and want to know how it really works. Whether you're a business major, interested in the startup lifestyle, or passionate about making a particular change in the world, this podcast is the one for you. All right, welcome back to Freshman Founders. We are really excited about this episode that is all about digital strategy and how to what does actually digitally marketing your business really mean? And for this episode, we have Michael Sloan on, and Michael has an impressive background in digital strategy for all different types of businesses, especially in the music industry, which Mackenzie and I are all about. He started in project management, moved to interactive marketing, and did a lot of cool stuff in between that I'm personally really excited to hear about and is now overseeing his own company, Streaming Promotions, a music placement and streaming company. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Tell us where you started, what, where you came from. Uh, give us the hear background. I'll give you the whole thing. So I, I'm from a small town in Kentucky called Bardstown, uh, which is about 40 miles southeast of Louisville. It's the bourbon capital of the world, if you're into that kind of thing, which I am. Um, <laughs> so I, I was just a huge music fan. I was just a huge music nerd. Um, and in the 90s, uh, to tell my age a little bit, that was a little more difficult than today. You kind of had to go to music stores and <laughs> sort through racks and look through imports and try to, I don't know, read lots of magazines and try to get your thing. So um, obviously Belmont was attractive. Uh, so was Berkeley, but Boston's scary when you're from a small town in Kentucky. I mean, we're talking like 20,000 people, so it's a tiny place. So I came to Belmont out of undergrad. Um to do music business. I also ran track and cross country in high school uh, and I got through you know, towering traditions, I think they still call it. Is that still a thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, cool. All right. So, so I went through towering traditions and uh, whoever was leading our group was like, you should like go walk on the cross country team. That sounds like a terrible idea. Uh, but I did for one practice and I'm super competitive and they absolutely kicked my ass. Uh, so I took it as a challenge and started running at Belmont. So I'm running at Belmont and doing music business and now I'm like, part jock, part music industry, completely lost human being, um, and wasn't interning and wasn't doing anything. Still loved music, still loved Belmont, but just couldn't find home. And we're talking Belmont 3,000 students, not Belmont now. juggernaut that is right. 18 blocks of chaos. So I transferred to the University of Kentucky, where I got to walk on uh, the cross-country team there as well, and got a finance degree. It, it's business. It's business is business. So I got a finance degree at UK, um, finished up. My family is all traditionally in banking. And so I got a job at Professional Bank Services, which was an independent auditing company that went into small community banks and audited loans. So I'd go in and look at loan portfolios. This does not sound fun. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, I would look in loan portfolios, you know, stacks and stacks deep and do loan to value analysis and cash flow analysis and go to boards of directors at the end of it and as a 24-year-old and say, yeah, I think you need to add, you know, more to your reserve because you've got these underperforming loans and these things are, and they'd look at me like I had three heads, like what, you're 24 and why are you telling me this and leave? Um, I'm like, yeah, but my dad, my, never mind. Um, so it was miserable. I was in the middle of nowhere. Like the biggest city I was ever in was Springfield, Missouri. It was bad. So I would just look up, where, where's the closest concert? And so slowly but surely I got back into finding venues and finding shows and got to see like John Mayer play Eddie's Attic and like like little haunts and ha and just finding stuff. Napster became a thing and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And even though I know it's wrong, I'm still going to download music because it's the only way to discover things. <laughs> totally. Um, so I had to get back into it. Um, 
so I managed to leave the consulting firm, uh, get into Belmont for my MBA as a total guise of like, mom, dad, I'm going to get my MBA. Great. Where are you going to go? Belmont. Oh, I'm not sure that's a very good idea. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. And like immediately got here and was trying to hustle my way back into any music venture I could find. I'm like, I'm going to be an A&R. Like I, I got good ears. Um, then I got here. Just like when you come to Belmont, you think you're going to be a musician. Like, oh, I'm going to be a singer. And you get here and you're like, I'm not going to be a singer anymore. <laughs> it's um, like overnight. Oh, I'm going to be an A&R. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, but no, I came to town. And honestly, my first gig was uh, with a guy named it wasn't even a job. Guys, I I cold called this dude whose parents lived across the street from my second cousins. I feel like that's how it happens. Hmm. And I'm just like, hey, uh, you don't know me, uh, but could you let me take you to breakfast? And he's like, okay, sure. So we get there and he's like, I can't hire you. I don't have any money. Like, can I just come hang out at your office next like, tomorrow? Just figure. And he's like, you're weird. Um, <laughs> and I... Well, it was weird, but he he said, sure. So I walk in and he's picking CDs off the back wall and like burning manual. This is 2003. He's manually burning tracks at a time to make a pitch tape. And I'm like, Joe, that's terribly inefficient. What are you what are you doing? And he's like, I'll make a pitch tape. I got to take it to Sandy Bell. We've got things to do here. I'm like, have you ever heard of iTunes? Yeah, yeah, you download music. I'm like, no, 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 you can build a library. Like, I can build you a library with metadata. And, like, there's going to... What, what do you need? I'm like, but go buy me three hard hard drives. Like, I couldn't watch him struggle. It was just, I don't have it in me to just... Like, I can't watch this inefficiency any longer. So he put me in a closet in the kitchen <laughs> of his office and with three hard drives. And I burned 25,000 tracks over three months for free before grad school started. <laughs> oh then he found God. me a job, which was nice, so... You know, paid off maybe it did. Oh, until I got <laughs> fired from that job because apparently, if you ask to pitch songs every single day to a company that already has a song plugger, um, yeah, you'll you'll lose your job. <laughs> but it's all right. I finished grad school and figured out I hated the road. Went out with Tim McGraw for a summer, and that was a experience. Um, you just you're either a road dog or you're not. You find that mm. out real quick. Um, and I wasn't, and so got a job at Echo and became a project manager there, and we. We were still really small at the time. I think there were like 16 or 17 people at the time. And we grew and got acquired by Ticketmaster. And I jumped ship to Live Nation when I saw corporate cultures weren't really going to jive there. So I don't know. And then here I am, digital guy. Later, later. What we, <laughs> I've talked far too long. Please ask questions. It's no, I think. The, it's the strangest. Like, I don't know. I just wouldn't. I couldn't figure it out, but I wasn't going to take no for an answer. But. But here we are. Michael, I think that's one of the most interesting parts about it is like, I, I feel like even looking at your most recent careers, like having that finance background and seeing how you've evolved. Now you have, you know, these different traits that you get to utilize on all fronts and being a business founder, that's extremely valuable. Yeah, the business background has been, I never thought it would be. I, th I think it was always, like, yeah, I mean, it's business, it's math stuff. It's like, it's boring. Um I never thought I'd be in sales. I never thought in a million years I'd be in marketing. Undergrad, I thought marketing were the most worthless classes. I'm like, what? we're talking about billboard impressions, people. Like, this doesn't make any sense. When it got very mathematical and very true metrics, and I can see how much traffic's going where and what's driving what, it became very intriguing to see, like, chart out graphs and see where things are going and see what's moving traffic and how are things working. And it became more of a puzzle. But yeah, it's that's always kind of, I've always kind of had this weird dichotomy of my life like i'm an athlete but i'm a this but but i'm a this, but I, I like music but i also like business i'm a i like math but i like me it's i don't know it's weird 
feel like that's like welcome to the music industry. I feel yeah. like there's so many people like that. And then, so a question for you is through that transition, when did you really start to get interested in digital? I was just trying to get in the business for the longest time, right? I mean, even through the Echo years, those were, I mean, I was there for three years. And I think even that time was more about who's, who's, who's that manager and who are those people? Just trying to get a picture of the landscape. I think it got really interesting in the digital side when I left and went over to Live Nation. And it was, I mean, those were the first real 360 deals. And you could see, okay, it's going to be not just about me trying to figure out a digital presence and what a cool website looks like, but, you know, how are we trying to monetize these different angles for artists? And, you know, if we buy U2 for 200 whatever million dollars, you know, how do we go about the back end of trying to figure out how are we marketing those people? What are we, how are we doing that online? What does that look like? I mean, this is still the advent of MySpace and really early days Facebook. I mean, SEO and SEM were like complete mysteries. It's like, I don't know, we pay some guy and all of a sudden we have the top Google result. I don't know what happens. And it was, it was fun. It was fun to try to figure it all out. So I got much more interested when I, th- I think I saw the numbers and I could see how it was oh, this person came from here and they went over there and now they're over here and now they became a customer and now I can kind of build like an activation funnel to see well, if they bought this, what else are they going to buy? And if they buy this thing, then how can I give them a package that is really suited to them as a fan? And I think that suited me just because I'm I'm always about, I'm in the business, but I'm always a fan first. So, all right, what what would I like from this band that is my favorite thing and how could I build something specific for them? I think that's where the entrepreneurial mindset comes in too, because not only are you initially passionate in building this for yourself, but you're building it with the customer in mind. And does this make sense? And we're right now in the process of, you know, trying to even hone in how to truly convert our users and having that laid out and seeing a direct funnel and process like that's the best part about it. And to know that that wasn't available 10 years ago, right? You couldn't track that usage. You couldn't find a user over here from a Google search, see that they come into your website, capture their email address, sell them on something, and then see how they progress throughout, you know, their fanhood, so to speak. So that's always interested me. So I guess to continue the story, um, it's crazy. Yeah. So I... Ticketmaster and Live Nation merged, obviously, and all those digital companies went away. So I was at Ultrastar and Music Today. Um, Echo was part of Ticketmaster. Like through the merger, all those platforms more or less went to nothing. And I started out on my own. WordPress was a thing. I was just tech geeky enough to find some friends from the Echo days that could kind of move around the WordSpace platform and also saw that social media was taking a larger hold. And so you could really start to do some more direct marketing on Facebook as opposed to the MySpace buys, which was just, I I put it on the sidebar and crossed my fingers. Um, We got into a lot more Google AdWords and and those kinds of things. So just doing those types of campaigns where we were building websites, but we were also trying to build digital presences, um, digital brands, I guess. So that was a couple of years. And then somebody called me about this Taylor Swift girl that needed somebody to help her build out her Amazon store. I'm like that. I don't know, but I can figure it out. <laughs> it's kind of my, that's, you know, I think that's the entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know, but I've got a good feeling that I can figure this out faster than somebody else. So it's my favorite Mark Cuban story too. It's like he just, he would never turn down a gig, but he would always just say yes and then read a book and he was show up and act like he knew what he was doing. So I just came in and helped build Taylor's uh, Amazon store, which uh, became her, her digital store, the store of the website. Um, we were using... Amazon Fulfillment, and this is 
eight years ago now. So it was very interesting to like watch that and be able to see the data from that. I left and went over to Big Machine. So um, kind of doing the same thing, digital strategies on behalf of artists and digital branding and doing digital stunts and being able to funnel that traffic and see where that goes. And really those were the steps and also just the connections made there through those people and being in those places and getting to talk to managers and get to know artist teams. Um, and this town's so stinking small anyway, is that, you know, everybody moves and shakes and goes their way. So, you know, what's beautiful about my, about now, some of the relationships that I have is like, I know the people's prior four jobs and their families and kind of what's going on. And it's easy to strike up conversation because it's much more personal. What were the, some of those consistencies that you were finding when you were learning about digital marketing with artists? And what were some of those consistencies that you found, oh, this, this kind of works for people or this kind of works for if, if they like this, then they usually like this too. It was all about making them personal, right? So the, the posts that were, su- you know, any type of post that was super pushy and just like bye, 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 didn't nearly translate as well as like something that was a story. People want to feel like they're let in. I mean, that was the beauty of even the early days of websites and fan clubs was it felt like they were being let behind the curtain, right? I'm getting to see something that I'm not supposed to see. And I think that's where any type of consistency I saw with an artist that was being successful in an online campaign, it was everything had a story arc. I was trying to tell a story about the thing. And as long as I could tell a story about the album while also sprinkling like buy it um, or telling a story about the merchandise or, or this VIP bundle, or as long as I could tell a story about the way it was made or there's something personal about it, it almost always worked. When it was just, hey, here's a T-shirt, like that sounds like it's written by your intern. You know, it's if you say, hey, this T-shirt is like this picture was taken at this shoot with these things and there's there's more to it. It gives the fan more connection to it and they feel like they're being led in a little bit. And you'll find you still see that. I mean, it's there's just so much stinking music out there now. I'm sure we'll get to that with the Spotify world and 40,000 tracks a day and just the craziness. But right now there's just like, the, the barrier to entry is just so incredibly low that it's hard to sell anything. Could you give us an example of a project that you thought just really hit home? Like anything that was unexpected. I mean, Taylor did a great job of that, I felt like. Um, and I was there, but not responsible for all those things. But just being part of that team was really cool to see how she, I mean, even the most recent digital stunt she did in the Gulch was just so personal and so fan driven. It was still that way with Speak Now. She has a very unique gift of being able to, you feel like you're the only person in the room, even if there's 20,000 of you, you know, like she makes this very genuine connection. Those were the things. So I don't know that there's like a specific unique campaign that I can say from soup to nuts went that way, but any rollout of an album, if it's personal and personalized um, and an artist really understanding their fan base and kind of understanding what they want. I think that's what another gift that Taylor Swift has is that she's able to really understand what you want from her and give you that in that moment. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of the kind of meme s gasps, you know, that are, that are now comical, but in that era, she was very like her fan base was teenage girls. And like, if she could give like a very overly dramatic gasp, it was just, it made them, Oh, she hears us. She sees me. She feels connected. So, um, or I feel connected to that. So it's been, those have been the things and you can take that online as well. And I think that's where a lot of those pieces kind of came together for sales and activations and, you know, driving fans deeper down that activation funnel and really making them huge advocates of the artist. How would you actually define digital strategy? 
I, I think five or 10 years ago, I said, can we just stop calling it digital marketing and just call it marketing? It's like, I would define digital strategy as strategy. Like if you're trying to communicate with your fans, the, the only conduit at this point primarily is digital, right? If I send an email, is that a digital strategy? Well, it is. It's not like I'm sending them a, a, a handwritten note anymore. I mean, that's just, it's, it's archaic. So anything happening really now is a strategy. Um, digital or otherwise, I mean, I think 90% of any marketing campaign is going to be digital. You can still buy radio ads and billboards if you want. Um, I can't tell you what the activation of those are. I can't give you an ROI of those things. But if I buy $10,000 worth of Facebook ads, I can get a pretty good ROI on what that is because I can see the click-throughs and walk through the funnel with it. Does that strategy, do you find, does it change um, whether working with a, you know, a, a corporate account or a startup business versus, you know, an artist? That's a that's a hard question. I used to say absolutely not. Um, you know, a brand is a brand is a brand. Um, I think you can get away with a lot more on the artistic side. And I think it depends on the startup as well. What's the what's the, the brand and the vibe of the startup? How how risque do they want to go with their marketing? I mean, a lot of what we try to do in a, in a marketing campaign is get someone's attention. And one of the greatest ways to do that is with shock, right? So if I can shock some, if, if the brand is willing to go super shock value, I can get some eyeballs on it. I don't know what they'll do they, once they see it, but I can at least get their eyeballs on it. Um, same with an artist. So yes and no. You're going to find corporate entities to usually be a little more conservative um, than an artist. An artist isn't going to mind like throwing profanity on a t-shirt and trying to sell it and being successful at it. You know, Coca-Cola is not going to have that same luxury. <laughs> so. How do different industries differ in digital strategy? Corporate entities like a, like a Coke or a Ford or a Chevy is going, they're going after such a wide base. One, they're all already so well known. You're going after all types of demographics. So in that sense, you kind of have to placate everyone and play it safe. If you're more niche, I mean, the more or niche, I won't. I, did I roll my eyes when I said niche? I, ho- I hope I didn't. Um, <laughs> do you, I, I say niche. What do you? I, I always say niche. I say niche, but I got students at Belmont that'll look at me and be like, "It's niche," and I'm like, "We're not in France." Um, <laughs> so I always said niche, but like, the further niche you get into a business, like the more specific you can be about your marketing. So. If you're doing something, some broad brand, and I think you get to those situations with large artists too. I mean, if you're Taylor Swift, you really have to talk to moms and dads and teenagers and 20-somethings and grandmas and grandpas, and everyone has to be able to feel like your message is wholesome. You know, if you're Drake, you can get away with a lot more. If you're Little Nas X, you can get away with a whole lot more because you're talking to a much more like specific, unique audience. And the same goes with any industry. The bigger you are, the more kind of the, I guess, the, the more close to the vest and a, a little less risque you can be. I've even seen that our strategy in how we are different from our competitors has become one of our biggest marketing pieces because we see the people in the space and they aren't satisfying the current customers. So that's all we hit. That's our, you know, our kind of targeted niche marketing. And that's what converts these users. Sure. I mean, and we've mentioned, I mean, I've done some stuff in the VIP space as well. And like, that's a whole interesting market of, all right, fine. If you're going to go buy a ticket at Ticketmaster, you're just going to go buy the, but if I'm going to sell a $1,900 Justin Timberlake package, like I better have like some unique, we, I got to have a sizzle reel and like a whole 
package around it? What does that look like? How does that, you know, that's got to be a whole different thing than just nobody's going to live, like Live Nation or Ticketmaster.com and just, I'll just take the, maybe some people are, those one percenters of the world. Like, I'm just <laughs> going to take the 1900 package, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. But most people are going to need to know a little more about that, right? And so when you're trying to market something that's unique and it's an experience and it's specific, and I know that's some of what you guys do, obviously, is to be able to say, all right, well, I can I can hit it where they ain't a little bit, right? I've just let the Kentucky come out. Um, but I can hit it where they ain't a little bit and go a little bit over here because they're going to have to play it safe and play it straight down the middle because their brand and what they're selling is this and I've got this smaller, more niche thing. As you guys know, Mackenzie and I, we went to Belmont University and we took entrepreneurship classes together and learned, you know, some of the key points of how to build a business there. And we're so thankful that the Belmont University Center for Entrepreneurship is sponsoring Freshman Founders. And the Center of Entrepreneurship has tons of resources to support student entrepreneurs, such as two on-campus co-working spaces, competitions throughout the year, free business building clinics, and mentorship and grant opportunities. Belmont is also ranked by the Princeton Review as one of the top 25 entrepreneurship programs in the nation, and the only one in Tennessee. The Center for Entrepreneurship guides students through every phase of their entrepreneurial journey, beginning their freshman year and lasting a lifetime. Startup versus corporate businesses and their marketing obviously differs how you're saying. And there's kind of more rules and the more, you know, a bigger a company is, the more defined their brand is. And there are kind of rules around how they want to market. Whereas startups are really just kind of learning and still figuring out what is our brand? How they're kind of just throwing things at the wall. Even Startups are riverboat gamblers. I mean, you're <laughs> Honestly, I mean, if you look at the better entrepreneurs of, you know, the 1900s, right? And especially early 1900s. I mean, what do you want? What can I give you? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll sell you stuff that I don't have and then go figure out how to make it work. You know, once you get a little more established and there's a little more credibility to you, I mean, what's the worst case that happens as a startup? You go out of business? Well, cool. Then you're with the majority. Like, unfortunately, um, that's the case. So you've got to be willing to take risks and go figure it out and sell stuff you might not know how to do or sell products you might not have figured out yet. And then put yourself under the gun to figure it out. If you don't, dust yourself off and try something else. Totally. And it was just like earlier when you were even talking about how you know, not only you were, well, I've seen this evolving your career into what made the most sense, but like, look at the Belmont course you started and look at where it's evolved from. Yeah. Started teaching at Belmont seven and a half, I guess almost eight years ago now. I took over a course that Pinky Gonzalez, it was a friend of mine at Echo started. And I mean, it was really just, here's a LinkedIn profile and here's how you make one. And here's a MySpace page and here's how you create an account. And here's, and it was, I asked him for the first lecture or for the first semester's lectures. And he, he sent me one slideshow. And I was like, so what do you do? He's like, I go do, drink two beers at Bosco's. And then I should, probably shouldn't say that, but hey, I go drink two beers at Bosco's and then just go open my computer and start talking. I was like, thank you. That's not going to work for me. Um, I threw up before the first class I taught. I was freaking out. Um, and all I had to do was just talk about myself. <laughs> like, here's the class and here's the syllabus and I'm going to go throw up. Um <laughs> But, you know, once when you realize <laughs> when you realize that there's a little more the evolution truth. to it, I know it's like freaked me out. Um, what, why are you 25 students looking at me? I don't have the answers. 
turns out I still don't have the answers, but I know just enough more than they do that I can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the course evolved from literally like, here's here's what MySpace is and here's what Facebook is. And here are all these different conduits. You're going to have content. Like there's going to be some creative element. You're going to have to put it through some conduit and like you've got to find audience. And there are a million people putting out the same stuff at the same time. And so what's your differentiator and how are you building audience and what are you doing to gra- to, to get it? And I can give tools and tricks and tips, but like I can't. I can't make a hit, you know, so it, it comes down to here are some of the things. How are we thinking about this thing from an aspect of how do we find audience? Who's who are the people who are the, how do we how do we get creative about it? I can't just say, you know, here's what makes things go viral because um, I don't have I would I would love to know what makes things go viral. I would sell it to Fortune 500 companies all day long. And I think that that leads into a question I have because a lot of our listeners um, on Freshman Founders, you know, they are young entrepreneurs or college students or people thinking about starting that business. And um, something to ask you is, you know, what are the must do's when they are getting started and they are thinking about their strategy and their marketing plan? Don't don't quit. I mean, honestly, the must do is just be like persevere. You're going to hit way more. The things that you think you know, you won't know. The things that you don't know, you'll figure out. But um, it's it's nearly impossible to fail if you just don't allow it to happen. You might fail in that in, in that business or in that entity, but if you just dust yourself off and find the next thing, I mean, that's been there have been several times in my career where I probably should have hung it up. I mean, definitely after get, getting fired from the publishing company, I probably should have just said, that's probably not a good idea and I should go back to banking. Um, and that thought definitely crossed my mind. I think it's a lot of it is just just human nature. Of You're either going to just buckle down and try to fight through it or you're going to succumb to whatever demons are in your head that allow you to go back to whatever is easy. I think that's good to hear because even when I'm thinking about how hard it's been sometimes for us to even find the right marketing plan or strategy when trying to get in touch with our users. We just constantly feel like we sometimes hit the wrong thing, but it's like you got to fail fast and just keep trying a different way to engage. It's definitely failing fast, but it's also just failing hard. I mean, (laughs) sometimes you have like, all right, I know this probably isn't the right direction, but I'm going to do it anyway. And and I'm going to fall real hard and I'm just going to turn around and figure out what, all right, if that was, if that was absolutely wrong, then can I go the opposite direction? Is that going to be a little more right? The entire like entrepreneurial journey is a lot like sailing as opposed to powerboating, right? Like if you give me a billion dollars right now, like I'll go create you whatever you want. I'll just powerboat straight. I'll hire the smartest people and the best. Like if you're startup and it's just you, like you're going to tack this way for a while and then you're going to tack back the other way for a while. And I mean, the, you know where the goal is, but it's not, it's not powerboating. It's definitely, oh, that wasn't quite right. So I'll go back to the right a little bit. Well, that's, I lost the wind there. So how do I go back to the left a little bit? And you just, as long as you have the goal in mind and you know who the audience is and who the customer is and what you're trying to build and what you're trying to sell, you can typically get there. Not always. I mean, I've definitely failed at some things, but it's generally the case that I can get there ultimately. What do you think are the hardest types of businesses to market? All of them. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I know, right? at this point, they're just, the digitization of all things has just leveled the playing ground to a place where I can compete with Fruit of the Loom. Like I, I got T-shirts, like I got twenty-seven dollar T-shirts that if I if I can find the right the right audience and the right demo that want to buy it, I just bought a uh, very antique like looking T-shirt about what was that amphitheater that used to be here in town forever ago? 
long before you guys lived here. Starwood. Starwood. Thank you. Very, I like it. Yeah. Starwood, Starwood Amphitheater was like, we we're here when I was an undergrad. Um, and I found a t-shirt that was like Starwood Amphitheater. I was like, I have to have it. It was $28. I'm like, I don't care. I'm buying a $28 t-shirt. I mean, I definitely could have bought a Fruit of the Loom t-shirt. It's imp- How's Fruit of the Loom going to market again? They're not going to create Starwood Amphitheater t-shirts. Man, now walking down some of the new shops of Nashville, I see a t-shirt for like 118. Right. I'm like, okay. Yeah, but there's a market for bonkers. that. Right? There's a market for that. There's a market for the Super Fruit soft. of the Loom t-shirt at, yeah. at Target or Walmart. Like there's a there's a market for the $28 t-shirt. So yes. it's difficult to market everything because your competition is everyone trying to start an Etsy store and sell their stuff alongside major vendors and major products, alongside independent tickets and major ticketing brokers and alongside VIP offers alongside $50 website offers from India or like how how high touch do you want to get with your thing right so but even there i i feel like it's easier to market products than services in a way maybe not even just services but for example even more we are a process that you can do online that before you would have to either know somebody or call a booking agency or a middle booker or know a band. So we're trying to figure out how to market a process that you've never done before online. And it's so hard and we've so not been successful yet at all. And I'm like, man, I just wish we could sell sponges to people that were cleaning their kitchens. Yes, until you find out that those sponges are also being made in Indonesia for two cents. And then you realize that you can't buy them in bulk and your margin's not going to be there. So somebody else is going to beat you to the punch there anyway. I mean, honestly, it's there's all the it's, yeah. it's always yeah. it's supply chain. It's I mean, for for hard goods. I mean, all right, cool. We, when we worked with Taylor, like we wanted to buy a bunch of T-shirts. We were shipping cotton from China. I mean, it's that. that I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I'll probably get, but some of that was happening. Like, all right, fine. We're going to need a lot of t-shirts. So what's the easiest way to get cheap materials? Lots of merchandise companies do that. So I don't know if that's a trade secret of any sort, but if you're trying to get into that business, if it doesn't matter if it's ticketing and trying to find a, a unique path to booking or if it's sponges, and so f- it always sucks. It, it always sucks. sucks. Okay, good. Yeah, it's startup is always hard. <laughs> I think if startup was always easy, everybody would do it because it True. sounds good to be your own boss. Oh, yeah. And on and on the flip side of that, it's like, well, maybe it's really hard for us to get in front of them. But where we get to benefit as a premium service is once they use us, they don't really – they never go back. And so it's interesting. I, I sometimes think about too with, with products how hard it is to then get that buyer mm. to buy again. Yeah, I mean recurring buyers is – and that doesn't matter whether it's service or product driven, right? It's that's that's the holy grail. Like when I start to look at, you know, I, I draw out the activation funnel a lot in my class, but it's you're trying to build awareness, right? And then you need activation and then you need conversion of somebody actually buying something. But if I can get somebody to be a repeat buyer and an advocate for my product and go out and talk about my product and go out and sell their friends on my product. I mean, that's beautiful. And if I can also see that in some type of portal where I can see how many times they've bought and how, what they're doing and how they're activating with my, or how they're engaging with my product, you know, how do I incentivize that person to keep using it? Do I give them a discount? Do I upgrade them to a better seat or to a VIP experience or to some piece of merchandise that's laying on the floor that they don't know that's laying on the floor that they might see value in? I mean, there's always ways to further incentivize that customer that's become a repeat buyer and keep them further engaged. I mean, even with the streaming promotion stuff that I'm, you know, that the company that I've started now, if you bring me a bunch of clients, like I'm going to make it worth your while to keep coming back because it's, you know, if I'm promoting one project, it doesn't mean I can't promote the next one. And with 
the way music's being released these days. I mean, you better have music coming out every three to six months. A lot of it. A lot. lot. Yeah. Volume. I wanted to hear more about streaming promotions. What caused you to start that? Opportunity. Um, If you would have asked me 10 years ago if I wanted to get into music promotion, I would have definitely said no. I mean, it's always kind of the evil underbelly of the music industry, like radio and payola and showola and things that have happened in the past that people don't really want to talk about or how did that person get so many? I, I have no idea how things happen and I never wanted to. It was like you, nobody wants to see how the sausage was made. Like I just wanted – I like the music. Just play it on the radio. I never wanted to be in that side of it. But a company in Nashville called Digmark uh, got acquired by Universal. It was at the same time that I was departing Big Machine, and I'd had some conversations with Spotify about a position. Um, and through the process, I started to learn more about user-generated playlists and like the curators at Spotify and how that worked and just really got intrigued. I'm like, all right, well, there's there's got to be opportunity here. Um, and just knowing the volume of music that was coming out every week, um, they had to find audience somewhere. So uh, we just started figuring out, all right, we've got some relationships with people at Spotify. Uh, maybe we can get some people on some playlists there. So we knew the guy that was running curation at Spotify at the time, his name was Doug Ford. Um, he was running your favorite coffee house and a couple, of, we were able to get a couple of placements for those kinds of things. Mike Begain, who was running New Music Friday and is still music, running New Music Friday. We got a couple of things on New Music Friday. I'm like, we're killing it, you know? So um, that, those good stories begat more clients. And, um, and then things started to change at Spotify because everybody figured out who these curators were, um, that Spotify had employed. So we started seeing that about two years ago and really pivoted towards user generated playlists. Who's building audience and becoming a tastemaker in this space just because they want to, they're not taking money for playing on for placements on playlists. They're not using bots. It's not, it's not fake. Who's building real audience and can we build relationships there? So I hired a bunch of people to make have communication and like reach out and figure out who these does their profile picture on Spotify match their profile picture on Facebook. Will they accept a direct message? We do a lot of sliding up in those DMs like that's basically <laughs> the company. But no, how do we build those relationships and will they accept this music? Hey, you know, here we are. This is we've got relationships with these artists. They've employed us to try to get placements on playlists. And then with the algorithmic stuff that started happening on on Spotify with Discover Weekly and Release Radar and Daily Moods and now they're testing out like 250 more algorithmic algorithmic playlists um it really gave us the opportunity to go all right cool if we can get a few ads for these artists that increases their monthly listener number that starts to trigger some of these algorithms like we're really getting the snowball going down the hill and that's really been the bread and butter like i don't worry about spotify proper anymore i'm not going to get i know john marks he's wonderful um i'm not going to get a song to him that you as the artist couldn't get to him through the artist portal on spotify interesting but I can get you to 45 curators that are have large country followings, large country playlists that have 5,000 to 150,000 followers. Um, they're just people that like to gain followers on social media, and I've never understood why that's a thing, but it's a thing. So they want followers on Spotify playlists. Cool. I'll give you music. So we've been able to develop those relationships and start to get some things popping, but country's difficult rap's difficult like there's some genres that are difficult because a lot of these curators are like well i why, why aren't you paying me for the placement on these lists and we're just not it's, it's not payola because it's not fcc regulated but it's still against the terms and conditions of spotify and it's still against the end user agreement so we're trying to play in the very 
clear, clean space in, in, in the clean waters. Um, and we keep a whole tab of people that are running afoul of terms and conditions. Um, but it's just been, all right, I've got relationships and people know they need to build audience there. They know that what they're going to get from uh, from Spotify proper, which is a lot if you're a known artist and probably not a lot if you're an unknown artist. So, I mean, how are you trying to cut through 40,000 tracks a week, you know? And that's who we are and how we're just, uh, we're just trying to send out reports and show you what you're doing and make sure we're growing there. That's awesome. And always evolving always process. Always evolving. It's, it changes every, I mean, it's different from than it was six months ago and it will be, it'll be different six months from now. So it's constantly, well, what's triggering the algorithm and how are things, oh, can't talk to that person anymore. Got to go, now got to go wide and not, you know, got to go wide and shallow instead of narrow and deep. We've got about 2,500 playlists that are on the up and up that we know move the needle and that we can promote to across all genres. So it's it's fun. It's just hard to keep up with. It's, it's reading a lot of literature on things. What are some publications or some books or what would you recommend when trying to figure out more about, okay, how do I improve my brand, my voice, my strategy to get in front of these customers? I'm so generic. Um, I, I, this is like I start my course out with this at, at Belmont every semester. I'm like, I live my life by the three B's, like blogs, books, and beer. Um, but I can't <laughs> I like say that. beer at Belmont. Um, and what so do you, you say to, instead? I say beverages. Then I'm like, nice. you know, like beer or bourbon. Um, <laughs> hey, that's, that's true. Um, I mean, blogs give you that. I mean, it's just news, right? Just a constant. And we are inundated with information every day. So it's just reading constantly, whether it be technology type blogs or just the news or scouring Reddit for information, trying constantly to be informed and aware of what's going on around me. Books are deep dives. So it's when I get to slow down, which is rarely, um, except for today, for the next week uh, on this vacation, which I'm looking forward to, um, deep diving into a book, like whether it be like Malcolm Gladwell stuff or I mean it's just getting into the meat of all right what makes people tick like I think the beauty of marketing in 2019 is it's it's a psychological experiment how am I trying to figure out what makes people want to engage with my content um and then beverages um you know <laughs> beer or bourbon or a drink with somebody and just like getting that human connection um most people know like this is such a relationship town um, but people are also pretty friendly. I mean, if you reach out to somebody blindly on LinkedIn or through some, if you slide in my DMs, um, I'll probably tell you to go away. But if you <laughs> if you reach out to me through email or through a friend or, hey, somebody, could you help me out? Could we grab coffee or grab lunch or grab a drink? Um, nine times out of 10, I'll do that. Just, I want to hear your story and I want to know what makes you, what are you trying to do? Is there is there ways that I can help you? Because I have students that I taught eight years ago that are now feeding me business or I'll see it and they're like, thank you so much. And I'm like, thank you for the business. Why are you thanking me? I made an introduction that you're doing you. I'm a, I'm proud of what you've achieved. It's relationships. It's knowing the person and their family and the three jobs they've had before. And if their dog's sick, you know, like have make that human connection. So that's really it. The three B's. The three B's. Yeah. Blogs. Books. Books. Bourbon and, and beer. Bourbon and beer. Booze. <laughs> and with that. And booze, yes. And booze. <laughs> Blogs, <laughs> books, and booze. It all works. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael, for being on. It was really Thanks cool to hear me. your story. This and is great. Yeah. Really loved it from, again, I keep feeling like the blog is 
blog. The podcast is a little semi-selfish, of course, because we are always trying to hear more about this stuff. That's self-serving is usually the best stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like. I mean, dropping some gems. I'm today. trying. Yeah. You know, a little knowledge here and there. Wow. We'll just highlight all of them and then make like the Michael reel. Seriously. <laughs> just, just, then you right. can just do that. I'll just, for, yeah, that'll be my, that'll be my course. I'll just, I'll just, and then Mike drop. Play. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then go to, well, it's not Bosco's anymore, man. I know, well, man. Right. Those oh, were the RIP. days. Yeah. I don't even hop, hop down. There's something down there. There's something. There's, There's something. something new. There, if it's Nashville, I guarantee you it serves alcohol. True. So it opens. It does, bookstore. Beer. I mean, there's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's store, something. That's so 2002. <laughs> blogs. Blogs. <laughs> all blogs. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Guys. Just a reminder, uh, the very last episode of this season, we're going to do um, some questions and answers, just answering questions about any of the episodes or just about anything that people want to know more about in business, starting, growing, anything. So go ahead and send us those questions. And that email is founders at freshmanfounders.com. 